you'd like to follow along with the text, I'm going to read to you in a moment from Joshua chapter 2. And today we're going to see an interesting, uh, maybe unusual in some ways, story about how a Canaanite harlot became a mother in Israel. A little bit of background before we jump into this text in Joshua that that tells uh, the beginning of this story. Um, Who were the Canaanites? Who were the Canaanites? This is a very significant thing in the Old Testament. That when God called Abraham, he called him out of all the nations of the world and he set him apart to make from him a people through whom God would bring about redemption for the world. Uh, And when he called Abraham at that time, the land that he promised to Abraham was inhabited by a people who were descended from one of the grandsons of Noah named Canaan. And that's how the land got its name. It's why when we sing about Canaan's land and we sing it, we speak in the Bible about the land of Canaan being the land that Israel was to inherit. That's because before Israel inherited it, it was inhabited by a group called the Canaanites. And the Canaanites consisted of several different nations of people, the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Jebusites and uh, many of these people that are mentioned in the Old Testament, these nations that came from Canaan and inhabited that land. As you read the Old Testament, you learn several important things about the Canaanites and the type of people they were, the type of culture and society that they had. We learn that the Canaanites were in league with devils. They worshipped false gods. They worshipped idols. And they committed many atrocities that God warned his people against committing and when he gave them the law. Uh, Those types of atrocities and abominations that the Canaanites were involved with are are listed throughout the Old Testament. Um, All different types of sin and evil among them, including even offering up their own children in burnt offering sacrifices to the false god Molech. Uh, These people were in league against God and his purposes. And so God intended to judge them in time to cast them out of the land and to give the land to the people to whom he intended it, the descendants of Abraham. We see also the justice of God at work in this. In the time of Abraham, God promises him the land. He has Abraham walk throughout the land that he's going to give him. But he indicates to Abraham that it was going to be a long time before Abraham would inherit the land. And part of the reason he gives, the reason that God gives to Abraham of why the time was not yet, is he said the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. That is that God intended to cast them out of the land and bring his judgment upon them. But God's judgment, when it comes, never comes unfairly. It never is unjust or unrighteous, but it is always perfectly in line with God's righteousness and God's judgment. 
And so God gave time, as he often does. God gives opportunity for repentance. God is long-suffering. God is patient. And only when they have filled up the measure of their guilt before God is God ready to send his people in and to conquer them and to wipe them out of the land. And that's what begins to unfold at the beginning of Joshua. Now, the book of Joshua records what happened after Moses' death. Remember, Moses was with the Israelites. He led them out of Egypt, and he was with them in the wilderness 40 years, but he died before entering into the promised land. And what happened is when Israel came out of Egypt, they were ready to... Uh, Go into the land. God was ready to give the land of Canaan to them, but they, in their unbelief and their doubt, would not go in. They were intimidated for a number of reasons, one of which was another thing about the Canaanites, is among the Canaanites, there were giants. Might sound strange to us today, but there were. There were many giants. In fact, the Israelites, when they went into the land and they viewed the inhabitants of the land, they said that in their eyes were like grasshoppers because the Israelites, they were just regular sized people. And here among the Canaanites, there were giants. We learn specifically about some of them later on. For example, Goliath, who David slew. And David, uh, David and David's brethren didn't just sl- slay Goliath. He wasn't just one giant, but they actually slew five giants. And they were descended from these same group of people. And so we see that the Canaanites, they were, uh, they were worshipers of false gods. They were in league with devils. They had giants among them. And God intended to judge them and to cast them out of the land. And... Uh, but, but Israel disobeys God, and they don't go into the land. And in fact, what happens is they sent 12 spies in to the land to spy it out. And two of them gave a good report, but 10 of them uh, gave a bad report, and they listened to the 10, and they didn't go in. So God said, you're not going to go in and inherit it. And they wandered 40 years in the wilderness. And when that time period had reached its conclusion... Moses died, Joshua rose up to take its place, and they began to go in and to possess the land. And as they went in and possessed it, God did many mighty works to bring about their inheritance of the land as he had promised them. We learned a number of things from this, from this history. One of the things is that when God has a purpose and a plan, he will bring it to pass that God in his time will accomplish his purpose for his people. It didn't happen in the way that it initially seemed like it was going to unfold, but God's was undaunted. He had promised to Abraham that he would give him the land. And so when the time came, he would accomplish that purpose. And that involved conquering the enemy Canaanites in the land. Well, as they come to the borders of the land and they enter in, they cross the Jordan River in a miraculous way. God has the priests walk out into the midst of the Jordan River, which formed the boundary of the land of Canaan. 
And when they walked into the Jordan River, God divided the, the river. And, and they walked over on dry land. And in doing so, uh, God did a number of things. One, he uh, magnified Joshua in their sight. See, now that Moses was gone, Moses was a great leader of the people. Moses did many wonderful works. And he had the, he had the respect of the people. But now that Moses was gone, the people needed to respect Joshua. And most of all, most important to that, was they needed to see that God was with Joshua. In fact, the people even said as much to him. They said, we'll follow you like we followed Moses, but the Lord needs to be with you. And so God showed by doing this mighty work, crossing over the Jordan River on dry land, that God was with Joshua like he was with Moses. It did something else as well. Word about that work spread throughout the land, and it began to make its way into the cities of the Canaanites so that they heard. And when they heard what God did, you know, first of all, think about what they'd heard. Forty years earlier, they heard about how God wrought mighty works to deliver by a strong hand the people of Israel out of Egypt. The plagues that God did, all the, the signs and the wonders he did, they'd heard about that. And now they hear that God brought them over the Jordan River. Think about that. That's, the, that's like the boundary into their land. And God brings them over on dry ground. How do you think the Canaanites felt? They were scared. Word was getting around that the God of Israel, this mighty God who, who devastated Egypt and delivered his people, is now brought his people into our land. They're scared. And God did this, this mighty work, and he brings them over. Well, uh, before that, Joshua sends two spies into a city of Jericho, which was one of the first cities that they encounter on that side of Jordan. It was a walled city, well defended, and... In fact, it was shut up tight, closed up because they were afraid of what the God of Israel was doing. And they'd heard about what was happening. So they shut up this city, this walled city. And it's one of the first cities on that side of Jordan that they were going to go over. And so Joshua sends a couple of spies in to go and spy it out. And that's what's recorded here in Joshua chapter 2. These spies go in. And there's going to be a woman there. She lives in the walls of the city or on the walls of the city. Now, in those ancient cities, the walls, they they generally had two walls with uh, living quarters or guard stations or different types of things inside the walls. So it was common for people to live on the walls or in the walls of the city. And there's a woman there named Rahab who's going to play a very important role in what unfolds. So let's read from Joshua chapter 2. And Joshua the son of Nun sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and they came into a harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. 
And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered into thine house, for they be come to search out all the country. And the woman took the two men and hid them, and said thus, There came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. And it came to pass about the time of shutting the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out, whither the men went, I wot not. Pursue after them quickly, for ye shall overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof of the house and hid them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order upon the roof. And the men pursued after them the way to Jordan unto the fords. And as soon as they which pursued after them were gone out, they shut the gate. All right. So here's the beginning of this chapter and what happens. And we we are introduced to this woman named Rahab and we we immediately know a few things about her. First of all, she's a Canaanite woman. She lives in the city of Jericho. Uh, Secondly, it tells us right away, um, in fact, in fact, it says when it introduces her, before it even tells us her name, it tells us that she's a harlot. She's a harlot. She's a Canaanite. And we also learn pretty quickly in what unfolds that she's pretty good with some spycraft, some deception. You know, she, she hides the men, she receives them in, she hides them, the king comes, seeks them out, hears that two men had entered into the city and had gone into her house, so they come looking for these spies. So she takes them up, she hides them in the roof, she's hiding them under the flax, under the crops. So she's got, got the place. And then she deceives the king that came looking for them. She says, oh, they, yeah, they were here, uh, but they went out the other way. And you know what? If you pursue after him now, if you go after him now, you, you can probably overtake him. So go. And then she goes on after concocting this whole scheme to deliver these spies to provide them a way of escape and deliverance. It goes on. It says, and before they were laid down, she came up unto them upon the roof And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. So now we learn something else about her. We learn that by this point in time, now it is interesting how you see uh, the development of her character. You don't see all the background. You don't see everything that was going on in her heart. You don't see how she got to this point. But at this point, she says, I know that the Lord has given you the land. That you, we might look at as the statement of her faith in the God of Israel. When she says the Lord, she's using the proper name for the God of Israel. The Canaanites, they had all their gods, Molech and Baal and all the gods that they worshipped. She knew that the God of Israel had given them the land. And then importantly, we're going to see that her belief, the faith that she had, what she knew to be true in her heart also affected how she acted. Her works followed from her faith. In fact, that's something that the New Testament speaks about 
when it speaks about Rahab, the harlot. It speaks about her as an example of someone of faith. And her faith is demonstrated by her actions. She delivers the spies. She protects them from harm because what what she comes to understand is what side she wants to be on. In this great conflict that's going on, the conflict between Israel and the Canaanites, yes, but more importantly, the conflict between the God of Israel and the devils that were worshipped by the Canaanites, she knows now what side she's on, and that makes all the difference. To the Canaanite king, depending on your perspective, her actions might look uh, treasonous. She betrayed her own city. She betrayed her own people. Why? Because she's on the side of the God of Israel. And that's what we know about her. And she says, what I was saying before, she puts in words, your terror is fallen upon us. Everybody's afraid. They're melting. Their courage is faded because they've heard of the mighty works of the God of Israel, which is exactly what God said would happen when he hardened Pharaoh's heart and he brought all the the mighty works upon Egypt. He did it so that all the people would know the power and the might of the God of Israel. And we see it in Moses's father-in-law, Jethro. He says that very thing. He says, now I know that there's no other God. And the God of Israel. And we see it in the Canaanites and their fear. He says, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when ye came out of Egypt and what ye did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon uh, so over on the other side, the east side of Jordan, there were already they'd already begun to conquer the Amorites in that that part of the land. Now they were crossing over Jordan. Well, one of those kings, at least, uh, if not both of them, one of those kings, Og, he himself was a giant. And they had defeated him and taken his land, whom he utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our heart did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you, for the Lord, your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Now that's that's a truth that we probably take for granted here today. We know that God, the God of Israel, the God of the Bible, we know that God, he's God in heaven and he's God in the earth below. But for her to say those words, her a Canaanite, uh, among a people that worshipped all these false gods, This was a powerful statement of her alignment with her loyalty to the God of Israel. Now, therefore, I pray you swear unto me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you will also show kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token that you will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. All right, she knows what's happening here. You know, this was a this was really a conquest that was without mercy. God God was 
I mean, it was not entirely without mercy, as we'll see. But God had sent them in to wipe these people out. To, to completely bring his, his judgment, fierce judgment upon them. She wants to live. But not only does she want to save herself, but she uses this opportunity to bring about the deliverance of her, all her people, her family, her mother, her father, her sisters, her brethren, she says. She says, save alive my father, my mother, my brethren, my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. And the men answered her, our life for yours. If ye utter not this our business, and it shall be when the Lord hath given us this land, that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. Then she let them down by a cord through the window, for her house was upon the town wall, and she dwelt upon the wall. And she said unto them, Get you to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you, and hide yourselves there three days until the pursuers be returned, and afterward may ye go your way. And the men said unto her, We will be blameless of this thine oath, which thou hast made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window, which thou didst let us down by. And thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house into the street, his blood shall be upon his head. And we will be guiltless. And whosoever shall be with thee in thy house, his blood shall be on our head, if any hand be upon him. And if thou utter this our business, then we will be quit of thine oath, which thou hast made us to swear. And she said, according unto your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed, and she bound the scarlet line in the window. And they went and came unto the mountain and abode there three days unto, until the pursuers were returned. And the pursuers sought them throughout all the way, but found them not. So the two men returned and descended from the mountain and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him all things that befell them. And they said unto Joshua, truly, the Lord hath delivered into our hands all the land for even all the inhabitants of the country do faint because of us. Now, here we have a powerful setup for what's going to come later. A life and death situation, really. Now, what, what had happened is she had delivered these spies and she had made a deal with them because she had saved their life. They were going to make sure that her life was saved, not only her life, but the life of anyone that she would bring with her into the house. But there's but this is a critical situation. They say, put out this cord that you let us down. The means by which she delivered them from death was going to be the means by which she and her household were going to be spared. But they needed to do exactly As the spies had said, bring everyone into the house. Don't be out in the street. It kind of reminds me of the the ark somewhat. Fiery judgment is going to come upon the world. And you need to be inside safe from what's going to happen. So they say, bring everybody in. And and not only that, not only is there are there lives on the line based on them following carefully the instructions that are given. But there's something else that's up in the air as well. That is that Joshua, the spies, 
the Israelites, they need to live up to their end of the bargain. At this point, we don't know in the story what's going to happen. Are they going to uh, remember the promise that they made? Are, is Rahab going to follow their instructions? Everything of their lives hangs in the very balance of this thing. And it's not until a few chapters later in chapter 6 uh, where it records what takes place when Jericho falls. The fall of Jericho itself is a very interesting story. God does it really quite miraculously by his power. They come to the walled city and God tells them what to do. He says, for six days, march around the city one time each day. Six days, they march around the city. Then he says on the seventh day, march around seven times. And then after marching around seven times, the priests are going to blow the trumpet and everybody's going to shout. The whole camp is going to shout. And and they do. They follow exactly like this. Six days, one time around each day. Then on the seventh day, they march around seven days. Imagine what the Jericho must have been thinking with all of this. What is going on? Their hearts are already melted with fear. They've heard about the mighty things that God have done. And now they see the Israelites marching around one time, another time, six days in a row. And then the seventh day, they march around. They get up early, it says. They march around seven times. Then the priests blow the trumpet and the people shout. And Joshua says, God has given us the city and the walls of Jericho come tumbling down. And he says, go in and take it. But, but before he sends them charging in to conquer this city, he says, but everybody in Rahab, the harlot's house, you bring them out. In fact, he sends those same two spies that went in before. He says, you go in and you make sure everybody in her house is safe, is preserved, and you bring them out alive. And they follow these instructions exactly as he said. They're brought out alive. And Joshua chapter 6 goes on to describe how they did this. And it says, uh, verse 23 of chapter 6, And the young men that were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brethren and all that she had. And they brought out all her kindred and left them without the camp of Israel. And they burnt the city with fire and all that was therein and only silver and gold and the vessels of brass and of the iron. They put into the treasury, the house of the Lord and Joshua saved Rahab, the harlot alive and her father's household and all that she had. And it says, and she dwelleth in Israel even unto this day because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent out to spy out Jericho. Quite an interesting, unusual, unexpected hero, perhaps, but she does really become a hero to the people of Israel that they would look back at as an example of someone who God used in a mighty way to deliver Israel, to aid them in their conquest of the land, and also someone who, by her faith, And by her actions, 
brought about the deliverance of her family as well, of her father, her mother, her brothers, and her sisters, as it says. The New Testament mentions Rahab in a few places. One is in Hebrews chapter 11, this famous chapter that speaks about the examples of faith in the Old Testament. Abraham, Abel, um, Joseph, Moses, and listed right along with all those examples of people who live by faith and by faith please God, there listed is Rahab. Uh, Verse 31, by faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. And then in James chapter, see James uh, chapter 3, I think, where he's talking about faith and works. He also uses Rahab as an example right alongside Abraham. Sorry, uh, James chapter 2. Verse 25, likewise also. Was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. James is, um, I mean, he's making very profound points in this chapter. But among them is he's making the point that true faith, true faith, Uh, works itself out in action. And that Rahab was an example of someone who was demonstrated to be righteous, not just by what she said, her profession of faith, but then how her actions followed from her faith. And we see both in that passage. We see how the two are married together. Remember her profession of faith. She says, I know that God is God in heaven. The Lord is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. I know that God will give you the land. So she had the profession of faith, but then her actions followed from it in that she demonstrated her loyalty to the God of Israel over and against the false gods of the land of Canaan. And so her faith is demonstrated by works and thereby her righteousness is demonstrated by her faithful actions as well as her profession of faith. And we see in her that example. Well, we see that she was a Canaanite and she um, essentially became an Israelite. She did become an Israelite. Says she dwells among the Israelites unto this day. Well, something else happened as well. You know, she, it's interesting how her identity, her identifying characteristic that is always tied with her name in those passages that, we, that she's read, that she's called Rahab the harlot. Rahab the harlot. And yet, uh, we know that she had a different uh, destiny as well for her life to unfold. Now, when... When Moses gathered the people of Israel in the wilderness, there were captains of each tribe. There were the 12 tribes, and alongside Moses, he helped govern the people with uh, 
a chief from each tribe, and the chief from the tribe of Judah was a man named Nashon. Nashon, he was the chief of the tribe of Judah. He was uh, a leading man among the tribe of Judah, which of course would become a very significant tribe later on in the history of Israel. Well, Nashon had a son, and his son was named Salmon. And Salmon would end up um, marrying a woman named Rahab. And they would have an illustrious descendant, a man, a mighty man of wealth by the name of Boaz, who would marry a woman named Ruth, and they would be the ancestors of King David, who would be the mighty king that would deliver Israel and unite the tribes of Israel and conquer their enemies. And, and so Rahab's story doesn't end with being a harlot in Canaan, but being a mother in Israel. And in fact, she is mentioned in Matthew chapter 1, in nothing less than the genealogy of Jesus himself. The genealogy of Jesus, as it gives us in Matthew and in Luke, it actually gives us both lines, the line through Joseph and the line through Mary. But the genealogy of Jesus demonstrates that Jesus came into this world, a world fallen in sin and corruption, The people in the genealogy range from people that were people of uh, very great sins to uh, heroes of the faith to everywhere in between. Even the heroes of the faith that are mentioned are fallen uh, people with many shortcomings. And yet Jesus came into this world through those means to accomplish God's purpose. But as Matthew begins, it says the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And those aren't just the starting words of the book of Matthew, but they're the beginning words of the New Testament. Who is Jesus? He's the son of David. He's the son of Abraham. The promises that God made and his purpose that he had purposed going all the way back to Abraham, that through Abraham's seed, God would bring blessings upon every family of the world. That in your seed, he says, all the families of the earth should be blessed. And then he says of David, he says of David, that I'm going to build for you a house. He was going to build him up, build up his descendants. And he was going to raise up David's son to sit upon the throne of Israel. And that's not just talking about Solomon. That's talking about a son that was yet to come in the future. And as the New Testament begins, it tells us about who this man Jesus is. The son of David. The son of Abraham. Come into this world through a long line of the twists and turns of the history of the people of God. Fallen, broken, imperfect people. And yet through then, God brought about his victorious 
plan to bring about salvation. The book of the generation of Jesus, meaning Savior, meaning the Lord is salvation. Christ, meaning the anointed one, the one chosen by God and ordained to that role. The son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. And Judas begat Perez and Zerah of Tamar. And Perez begat Esram, and Esram begat Aram. And Aram begat Aminadab, and Aminadab begat Nashon, and Nashon begat Salmon, and Salmon begat Boaz of Rahab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse. And Jesse begat David the king. And David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias. And it goes on down to continue that genealogy all the way to verse 15. And Eliud begat Eleazar. And Eleazar begat Mathen. And Mathen begat Jacob. And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you, in your mercy, have been from the very beginning working your mighty plan of salvation. That you are not deterred by the opposition of man, or by the devil, or by evil people, or even by our shortcomings, but God, you have brought to pass your purpose of salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the examples of faith that we have from times past. And may we learn from those examples and learn most of all, God, the thankfulness and gratitude we have that through your plan and your purpose, you have brought deliverance through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.